Welcome to another episode of Capturing COVID, a podcast that takes experiences and turns them into memories. I'm sure you all can think of ways that COVID-19 has impacted you, whether it's working from home for the first time, treating positive COVID-19 patients on front lines as a medical professional, receiving your first dose of COVID vaccine, or like our cool, awesome guest today, pediatric infectious diseases physician working with schools to help students return. We created this podcast to document the stories and the history of COVID-19 from various perspectives. We are passionate about giving our audience a resource to listen, relate, and reminisce on a time in history that the world will never forget, the COVID-19 pandemic. Tune in for this 60-minute episode with me, Jason Newland, a pediatric infectious disease physician at Washington University in St. Louis and the Schnook Family Endowed Chair of Pediatric Infectious Diseases at St. Louis Children's Hospital. Okay, gang, I have two friends, people I've worked with, who probably are rolling their eyes at me right now. I won't tell you if they are. You are, though, aren't you guys? They just nodded their heads. On the podcast with us in this episode are lovingly referred to as the Jens by a number of people, but Dr. Jennifer Schuster and Dr. Jennifer Goldman from Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. Both pediatric infectious disease physicians, both brilliant, brilliant clinicians, scientists who have done some amazing work, not only prior to the pandemic, but definitely during the pandemic. Welcome, the Gens. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Yes, yeah, awesome. All right, so this is going to be fun. This is the first time we've, we've had a duo, but you, I'm sorry, you guys have to be on this together because it's just more fun this way, right? We only have one brain between the two. That's not true. We have to do this together. You're right. Okay. So I'm going to introduce them both and we'll go through this. So I'm going to start with Dr. Jennifer Schuster, who I've not known as long as I've known Dr. Jennifer Goldman. So Dr. Schuster went to undergrad at Georgia. Are you from Georgia? Yes. You have not been around enough during football season to have to listen to me, Dr. Newland. Yeah, especially with your two national championships in the last couple of years. That's right. Congrats. Thank you. So then she goes to Medical College of Georgia in Augusta. Do you watch the Masters? I do not watch the Masters. Oh, okay. Sometimes I take a nap to the Masters. Am I allowed to say that? You're allowed to say that. Okay. It is a podcast on COVID, so I think that's fair. <laughs> Residency at Northwestern, Pediatric Infectious Diseases Fellowship at Vanderbilt University, and is currently the Infectious Diseases Fellowship Program Director and Associate Professor of Pediatrics at UMKC. How long have you been in Kansas City now? I moved here in 2014. So. 14. Nine years? Yeah. Wow. I know. This is getting to be the longest place I've lived anywhere. It's impressive. So um, Dr. Schuster and I worked together for two years as I was in Kansas City until beginning of 2016. And really, your research interest has been respiratory viruses even prior to coming to can even during fellowship, correct? Right, right. And then right now you do a lot of stuff with vaccines and vaccine safety and and a lot of really cool kind of epidemiologic studies regarding kind of vaccine preventable illnesses. Yes. All right. So now I'm going to turn to Dr. Jennifer Goldman. I knew Jennifer Goldman as a resident and she was telling me what to do then. And then as a fellow, she definitely told me then. And then as an attending, I was still there. This is a good, good friend who I've known. Gosh, I've probably known you. I think I was trying to remember. When did you come to Children's? 2006. So yeah, 2006. You started in 2006, seven. So I've known you a long time, 16 years. Wow. Yep. Okay. So Dr. Goldman, undergrad at University of Kansas, Rock Chalk Jayhawk. I am a KU basketball fan. I, I was kind of disappointed how that turned out, but oh well. Then University of Kansas School of Medicine. Then you did the Peace Corps. Before med school, yeah. Oh, so undergrad KU, then P where did you do Peace Corps? 
I was in Cameroon, which is a country in West Africa. Wow. How long were you there? Two years, three years? Two and a half years. Two and a half years. And then you were in New York City writing grants for people, if I recall. A little bit, yep. I worked at the Arthritis Foundation in Manhattan. Wow. Is that is that because of Butters? Butters. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, it's really, I mean, I was ended up in New York because of Butters, my husband. Jonathan Butters. We love to call Butters. You know, in Peace Corps, people, a lot of them go to um, non-governmental organizations, NGOs, and go and do really cool stuff. So that is what I thought I was going to do with my life, go work for nonprofits. And then I, I started with a nonprofit. There was a physician that worked at the Arthritis Foundation. She volunteered there on Thursdays, and I couldn't get enough of her. I heard her talk to people who called in, and she was amazing. She was probably in her 70s or 80s and came every Thursday to volunteer. And I was like, I got to I gotta apply to medical school. So that's what I did. What was her name? Dr. Estes. Do you still keep in touch with Dr. Estes? No, I don't. But she was an inspiration. You should talk to her and tell her, because you've done some pretty incredible stuff. So she needs to know that, by the way. That's my thought. <laughs> Goldman's role. She's not, and that's another eye roll. That's two already. Okay, Jen Goldman is professor of pediatrics at UMKC. Done some amazing clinical pharmacology work around Bactrim. So common antibiotic use can cause a lot of serious drug um, reactions. Really remarkable work, Jen. I've always loved what, following that story of how you created, you know, started that and through your Clem Farm stuff. So, but that's not what we're here to talk about. So let's turn it to COVID, guys, because with both of you, we have a lot to cover. I want you each to answer this question. What was it like for you and your families in March of 2020? Dr. Schuster, Jen Schuster, you start first. Okay. I will shamefully admit that I had probably spent a lot of January thinking that this was not going to be the big pandemic because I think many infectious disease doctors thought that flu was going to be the big pandemic, right? Yep. And that clearly, maybe December um, was when I was thinking that. And, you know, we clearly saw things escalate. And I remember traveling, I think, to see my sister-in-law, like the first week of March. It was right before spring break. And I remember telling my husband, I think that this is going to be the last time that we're going to be able to get on a plane for a while and that we're going to see people. I think that everything is going to shut down. And my husband was like, no, I think it's fine. And I was like, no, I really think that this is going to be it for a while. And about a week or two later is when everything just shut down. I will say for me, I feel like I did not have that much change. I was still coming into work every day. I think, you know, many of us had the unique experience that we did not shelter at home for a variety of different reasons, right? We had to be here. Probably another unique experience was my husband was a, or is an adult ER doctor. So he was still going into work. It was very weird because I remember at that time he had a lot of colleagues who were like moving into the basement or moving out into like a hotel room and you know you saw all those pictures of people like pressed up against the window like waving at their children and we really didn't even entertain that idea um, at all but I 
remember kind of the first month or two before we knew a lot about what was going on, kind of hearing stories about his colleagues who really had removed themselves from their families for safety purposes, right? They were all going into work and, you know, we didn't know like how this virus is transmitted or like, does it, you know, what's the mortality rate, how transmissible it is. Um, And so kind of having some interesting conversations at that time. I also remember my parents, as you mentioned, Jason, live in Atlanta. They are in their 70s. They're in good health, but they're in their 70s. And I remember them like bebopping along, doing whatever. Wow. Dad is a retired judge and he did a wedding and like, mid to late March, I think. And I was like, oh my gosh, you have got, please stop, please stop, please go into your house and like stop breathing other people's air. And then just kind of not, you know, like, oh, this is fine. And having those conversations with with my family. In a weird way, I feel like I had kind of a sense of normalcy because I was still going into work. My husband was still going into work. My child wasn't in school. I was similarly telling my parents things that they should and should not do, right? Which I was doing before. I never felt like I had that massive stop that a lot of people describe yeah, or that like massive slowdown. I think just kind of by nature of, of what we were doing. And I think the other big thing is my son was in pre-kindergarten at that time and just trying to figure out how to explain things and normalize like, yeah, I'm sorry that you're four, but you're going to have to stare at a computer at Zoom all day while your teacher tries to talk to you. So. Wow. Interesting. Jen probably has, you know, a totally different, but maybe also kind of similar experience. Jen Goldman, what was it like for you guys? Well, as I always will say, I'm not as smart as Jen Schuster, and she may have had the insight that things were going to change. I will never forget I was in Florida visiting my in-laws in February, and we were watching the news one night, and they were talking about this virus. I was like, guys, no big deal. I had to eat so many words during this entire experience, but it really was. I thought not much of it in February hearing about it. And then, I mean, Jason, you came into, you know, a, a very important role early on, I would say in the pandemic, because during spring break is really when they announced that schools were going to not go back in session. And I was out of town with, you know, a couple other families. And I just remember every day things getting more, escalating more and more. And you used one of your, you know, ID group meetings where we were meeting with pediatric ID docs across the country, usually talking about antibiotics and antibiotic resistance. All of a sudden we're all like, oh my God, what are we going to do? We need to talk about COVID. And so I remember going into the office of this house where I was staying with, you know, our families and I'd go in there about three or four hours a day and we would be on these calls and we were talking about at the very beginning, what this was going to look like for pediatric infectious diseases and what this was going to look like for our kids. And obviously we had no way of knowing how much it was going to affect children. It was crazy. Mari Nakamura from Boston Children's. We're about to have one of our those meetings, right, on antibiotics. And she says, hey, why don't we turn it to talking about a guideline for the treatment of kids with COVID? And I was like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great idea, Mari. Why don't you? <laughs> and so her and Katie Chiodas, so we had that guideline in May. It was, that, was, that was nuts. Okay, so what was it like for both of you kind of early on kind of clinically like seeing patients in the hospital what what, what was your guys experience because mine was kind of like eh. 
Like, huh, was mean, like, not much was going on. Either one, Jen Goldman. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Jason. I think from the day to day, I mean, if we think back to that time, hospitals, pediatric hospitals got really quiet. However, everything ID related was coming to our division, right? And so I just, I mean, we had, if you remember again, you know, I loved thinking about all of this as we were preparing for this podcast because it really brings back a lot of memories some PTSD, a lot of joy, but I remember, you know, I mean, we didn't have supplies. We definitely didn't have tests. And so we had to, as ID group, the way that we managed that is we had to approve every single COVID test that was ordered. One, just trying to understand the data and the changing guidance every single day, and then having to be an integral part of every single kind of decision, I guess, that was made in the hospital you know, was a lot. It was overwhelming at times. So the patient burden, um, especially those first few months was very eerie because the hospital was so quiet because all this, you know, elective surgeries were canceled and all these things. However, the demand of knowledge and information and trying to keep up with that, plus just all of the calls and you know doing all of that that was that was a lot and that was a different kind of stress than the usual inpatient work I would say I feel like everybody looked to us and looked at us and it was so slow and we would get we would get occasional COVID patients and who were largely you know not super sick we were seeing all of them at that point and I remember rounding actually pretty early in that spring with one of our fellows who was pregnant at the time going and she put on all of her PPE put on her papper and like went into that room and she took some heat for it from other physicians and um, some other people who were a little judgmental to be perfectly honest about what she was doing and she you know took it in stride and said this is her job this is what she was training for she believed that PPE worked you know by that time we we knew what to do right good for her yeah. I mean, I was so proud as a fellowship program director. Yeah. This is really the moment as ID docs that we have kind of waited for for our entire lives. And so I feel like people really look to us as this example of, okay, these guys are doing it. I'm a physician. I need to go see these kids. I need to treat these kids and, and do what's right. I mean, to Jen's point, I do feel like half the time we may have been making it up. <laughs> didn't know what we were doing. And then we would change 24 hours later. I mean, and we saw that all the time with like what PPE to wear and who should get tested. Because when resources are limited, you really have to, and this is, there's no guidance out, right? Resources are limited. There's no guidance and you really have to uh, make some decisions. And, you know, Jason, you're right. The hospital is pretty empty. We were never at a point where we were talking about rationing care, like some of the, you know, adult hospitals had to think about. Um, so our decisions were on so much of a lighter level. Yeah. I like how you guys both said it, it was just weird, right? Because the pandemic was so different for us and the adults because it was like just questions and answering and Zooming all the time. I mean, it was it was so different. Okay. We all got linked up because we're both in the state. We're all in the state of Missouri. And you guys became like dear, dear friends of Rachel Orslin, who also did a podcast. Do you guys recall how that happened? How RCO and you two all became like this we all became so integral in trying to care for things happening in Missouri. 
Well, this is really Goldman's story because this is, I think, where being parents came in uh, more so than infectious disease doctors. All right, Goldman, let's hear it. I remember back in, I think it was June, when people started to announce that school was not going to go back in, in session. And I think most of us were pretty surprised at that time. Yeah. June of 2020. 2020. We had been off for the you yeah. know, three months until summer. Summer was unusual. Pools were closed. For the most part, summer came and went. And during summer, we saw, I will say it like a lot of private and parochial schools were putting their plans in place to get back to school. And then large, uh, many public school districts started to announce that they would not be returning in person. Jen and I, you know, would talk about this and we're like, oh, I, you, they're probably going to go back. I remember uh, seeing an article from the American Academy of Pediatrics out in California and saying, you know, that they were really focusing on kind of a safe return to school. And it's so critical that kids get back in school and all these things. And then they started to talk in Kansas City that kids wouldn't be going back. And I was like, I wonder, could we reach out to the Missouri AAP and just see if they were going to put out a, a statement? And the prior president had been at our hospital. And I was like, I'll just reach out to her. I was like, and I reached out to Jen because Jen and I had just been talking much more on a parent level than professional level at that point. And we're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And what are these kids going to do? Jen, how old are your kids at this point? My kids were what, seven and uh, nine. Okay. Okay. And so I just reached out to the AP and, you know, asked my boss if that was okay and asked Jen as a friend and colleague, did they think that was okay? Do we have any data to support a safe return to school at this point? All these things. And they were like, yeah, just reach out and see. So I reached out and, uh, you know, um, how that goes. Not only was the Missouri AP, they were looking for guidance. And I happened to be an ID doc asking if they were going to put out a statement. And they're like, well, would you help write something? Immediately, and I think by far the best decision that I've made professionally is Jen and I, you know, both I think felt very passionately about just kids and knowing the data as related to COVID-19 safety and kids and safe return to school. And so right away, we both kind of took this on together. And at that same time, I mean, Missouri AAP was obviously engaging with the Department of Education at the state level. You and the lovely Rachel were working with them. And so I remember all of a sudden, all of us were invited to a call to provide guidance. And Jen and I are like, we don't know anything to provide guidance. And there's this amazing, you know, physician at washed you in St. Louis, who is working, you know, with this group, and she knows everything. And of course, at that point, we realized none of us knew anything because there wasn't <laughs> that much data. But I will never forget being on, that was the first probably introduction to Rachel. And then she just became really a lifeline. I mean, we would, as questions would come up, what would you say about that? And do you have any data on that? And it was constant texting and calling, I mean, really daily and Zoom calls. And again, it sounds crazy. So much of this work was hard, but a lot of it was a lot of fun. Which I think kind of underscores a lot of the pandemic, right? I mean, I don't know when our paths would have ever crossed with Rachel. Otherwise, I mean, PEDS ID doc in the same state. 
you know, between your institution, our institution, and then of course we should add in Columbia too, where both of us had a previous fellow um, who were Pete's ID docs there. Our whole goal, I mean, obviously getting kids back to school safely, but was to be aligned. And so I think that that's such a huge part of it. There was never this like, oh, this is my thing and this is mine and I want to do this and I think we should do this and I'm right and this is how things should be done. It was just this huge team effort of we want to be aligned. We want to be presenting the same information to the state of Missouri because we don't know what the right answer is. So we want to be at least saying the same thing. And this is how we're going to do it. And then every time we change it because new information comes out, we're all going to come up with this consensus together. And it was, I mean, it was really amazing. I don't know that I've ever worked on a team that has just A, moved that quickly and B, just been so collaborative and supportive of each other too. And it pretty stressful time. I just loved watching you guys. The three of you guys were hilarious all the time. Like you said, it was refreshing because it was so hard. I mean, Rachel would tell me, oh, I was talking to the gens. We got to talk to the gens. And I'll be like, you guys, this is... It was these two worlds that I was, my previous world and this world colliding, and it was just like the best collision ever in, in such a hard time. You know, the nurse algorithm we put together, that was, you know, we made sure it was all of us Rachel and put it out, and you guys would always help. I, so, so appreciative of that kind of thing, especially... I know Rachel was, uh, I almost wish she should be on here too, but it would last like three hours if we did that. Okay, so we all get together and then you guys really focused a lot on Kansas City schools, Kansas City Public, right? We would talk to whoever wanted to talk to us and whoever, and we had school districts that felt like they never needed to talk to us because they knew what they were going to do. Um, and we had school districts that wanted, I think, uh, us to look at every single decision that they made. And we were happy to provide whatever support people needed. It got a little bit interesting, right? Because we sit on both sides of the state. Yeah. And there's different rules, regulations, different teachers unions, as we learned, on both sides of the state. I mean, Jen, right? We talked to whoever, anybody who wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we had set up a system with, you know, a wonderful group at our hospital that we really wanted people to know that we would be happy to consult, if you will, with it. We were not doing it at the parent level. We were doing it really at the school, school administration, school nursing level. And then like Jen, we, we would meet with the school unions too. But our goal was really to take any emotion out of it, to take our personal opinions out of it as much as we can and just provide them with the data and what we knew what was going on across the US because we had so many lovely colleagues that you know we were all kind of sharing and talking at the same time and so that ended up really our first introduction of collaboration with schools but it was any and all schools that wanted any kind of you know guidance or interpretation we were happy to help them if we could this was really like july august right as everybody's making those decisions jen we found that we were answering kind of the same questions over and over. And so in a really very quick amount of time, now that I think about it, I mean, I think we did this in like a week and a half. Crazy. 
basically it was like a how to go back to school if you wanted to go back to school we weren't going to tell people to go back to school that wasn't our place but we wrote it had to be july august because it predated the cdc guidance coming out for school and we you know we kind of shopped it around with some people like the um symptom table like when to get tested you know we were aligned with you i have a friend who's an epidemiologist at one of the health departments um here locally and you know as nerdy people do on the same saturday in july during a pandemic they're both writing symptom guidance and ours weirdly aligned and we were like oh good this we must be onto something yeah right independently and it was looks okay so we basically wrote this guidance free any sort of guidance that was out there and i mean and it was everything jen right it was like roll down the window on buses it was we redid this so many times and then you know cdc ended up kind of consolidating their guidance but i mean we had anything and everything in there i think jen right yeah definitely you guys were brilliant how you set up that consulting service for schools it sounds like the hospital support was so important in doing that any i'm assuming do you have any idea how many schools you guys assisted during this time we did a count at some point in between like entire districts and then individual schools it was i don't know jen close to 150 maybe because some questions were just district level questions but then we have a lot of charters privates parochials that were kind of on the individual and then we found what was awesome is people started sharing their guidance too right and so some of the schools that were you know really focused on going back and had made those decisions early would kind of share their guidance it was so collaborative i mean everybody was trying to help everybody out at that point that's great Okay, gang, I want to explain to you what an ECHO is. So ECHO stands for Extension for Community Healthcare Outcomes, and it was developed by Sanjeev Aurora at the University of New Mexico Health Science Center. Now, the ECHOs have been used in the state of Missouri for many things, and what Dr. Kristen Soul has really did it for autism. Now, during the pandemic, it was decided we needed to help the school-based educators, administrators, mainly the school nurses, and then as well as pediatricians across Missouri. And so there was a COVID-19 echo for children that now has been renamed Show Me Strong. And so again, and these echoes work by having weekly meetings for about an hour where they have a didactic, and then we talk about cases. And throughout the pandemic, the gens and myself and some other pediatric infectious diseases would be on these calls to really talk about the ever-changing world of COVID-19. Do you want to talk a little bit about the echo in Missouri, state of Missouri that we were all on? Yeah. I mean, I think, again, kind of once we as ID docs across the state of Missouri really started communicating um, and working together and working with the Missouri American Academy of Pediatrics, they quickly set up a, a platform to um, have us serve as experts and reach out to schools and health departments and uh, school nurses to provide really up-to-date COVID-19 information as related to kids. And so it was called the COVID and Kids Echo, I think, and it started very quickly. And we were 
all on, there were five pediatric ID docs, and then there were other experts, um, you know, general pediatricians and psychologists. And But really, the primary focus at the beginning was all COVID all the time. The majority of participants were school nurses. We now have come to complete recognition, but I think we were just starting to realize the amazing work that school nurses do in the schools, the amazing and incredible burden and stress COVID-19 put on school nurses. And there are many, many hats that they were expected to, to wear in addition to their, their regular work that they do every single day in schools. But the amount of lift that they had to do during the peak of the pandemic was truly incredible. And so that's really one of the opportunities where we would meet with them every week. They would call in Thursdays at four um, and we would provide like a didactic update on whatever, you know, new hot thing had come out about COVID-19. And then we would just have an interactive time together and hear what was going on all across the state of Missouri, from big urban cores to very rural, rural schools. And boy, did we learn quickly, things were very different in all of these places. And so it was really a bi-directional learning experience that again was really incredible. And we got to see Jason and our colleagues from Columbia and experts across the state, which was amazing. It, it was remarkable. When we talked to people, it was like everyone enjoyed it because we it was like everybody was in it together. And I always, I would remember I'd get on it and you guys would say something I was like, oh, I didn't know that. And so that always helped me do stuff here because you guys had knew something. I was like, oh, I missed that. It was so impactful. And even though it was Thursday at four and by Thursday at four, I was like, oh gosh, more COVID, please stop. It was very important. Well, it's energizing in a way, right, Jason? Because we, I mean, we would hear these stories from the school nurses. I mean, and talk about the lift. I mean, not just like the lift of contact tracing and all of these other things, but you probably heard this in St. Louis too. I mean, the stories that we heard about how people were treating these nurses. Oh my gosh. Parents were treating them, how teachers and other school staff and the things that they were saying to them, you know, it's come to light a lot, kind of the toll of the pandemic on medical professionals, but the toll on school nurses is unbelievable. I mean, they were, talk about a group that was asked to do things that were just above and beyond. I mean, I don't know how to contact trace and I'm an ID doctor, right? But suddenly they became the experts in how to do this. And I mean, really were just the face of the pandemic at a lot of the schools and had to hear a lot from parents and staff about yeah. what people thought. I, I got to get a school nurse, nurse on because I, I agree. I, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I bet you they have some stories and, and what they went through. I mean, I'm sure there's some tons of PTSD from that. So we got to talk about your amazing research projects because you guys have one of the coolest testing programs that really has flourished and continues to flourish while a lot of people's testing programs kind of went down. Um, and, and what I'm talking about is COVID-19 testing in schools. And so the gens and myself, we in separate spots did COVID-19 testing with these big NIH awards. You guys partnered. Who's your partner again? It's, it's Dana. I, I know the first name, but I can't remember the organization. ICF. Yeah, Dana Keener Mast at ICF. So I would love for you guys to kind of talk about this project you guys have done and really have done more the why, how you got into these schools, why you did, why this was it, and, and what happened. 
spring 2021, Jen, maybe all my years now like blur together in the pandemic. So spring 2021, a lot of schools have gone back. Some schools have not gone back, including the district where our hospital is located had not yet gone back. Jen and I had been answering questions for them and just thinking about like protocols and all sorts of things. I mean, just trying to help them with whenever they reached out to us. And they came to their lead nurse and district staff came to us and said, can your hospital provide COVID-19 testing? Because this was at the point where, where people were starting to talk about screening testing. It was pre the government funding things, but, you know, it was known that some private schools had put this in place, but it was really private schools. It was definitely a have and have nots. I think there were some states maybe where there was state funding. Um, maybe Massachusetts was doing some early stuff. Yeah. And the district came and said, you know, can the hospital provide COVID-19 testing? And we, Jen and I were like, we want to help you however we can. This is so much money that we wouldn't even know where to start. I mean, it, it's just expensive, right? And this is pre really any sort of funding stream. So, you know, we said, if you can get funding, we'll help you write protocols around it enacted, but you know, the cost is just so prohibitive. So shortly thereafter, we were contacted Jen by Marge, you think? Mm -hmm. Marge Cole, nurse nurse consultant for the state of Missouri. One of the most amazing women in the world. A hundred percent agree. Jason, you should have her on. Yeah, actually. I totally should have her on. Her and somebody else, right? To, to go back and forth would be hilarious. And yeah. it's so informative. Yes, just a totally different perspective. Yep. So Marge had emailed the two of us, had known about, well, there was a company, which was ICF, had, who had been invited to apply for COVID-19 testing, this um, big grant. An NIH big money, money fund. Yep. And so ICF is a huge international consultant company, and they do a lot of programmatic evaluation. And they actually worked with the state of Missouri on another CDC-funded project where they were doing their evaluations. ICF is wonderful. They do amazing qualitative research. They do amazing evaluations. They do, in fact, not know very much about COVID-19 testing because that is not what they do, right? And so Marge had been in touch with them and Marge basically said, well, I do know two people who may know something about this. And Jen, I think she reached out to us. We had a phone call with Dana from ICF and then wrote a grant in like two and a half weeks or something. Yeah, because they were due first of March. And what exactly were you guys doing? How, you know, what was the kind of test you were going to do? Yeah, this is a large public school system, incredibly diverse, over 35 languages are spoken, you know, in many of the schools and just, again, a school that had not been back to in-person learning since the pandemic with a lot of kids with a lot of needs. And so I, it was an incredible honor and opportunity for us to be able to work with them. But I mean, Jason, as you know, as another uh, awardee of one of these grants, I mean, the timing was not awesome. It was funding to start a school testing program and they were awarded in May. So, you know, I mean, school summer was coming or there. And so yeah. 
But we were lucky. I mean, once our district went back, they were doing summer school. They were offering a lot of programs. And so we still had the opportunity to start. Our first question really was, what do kids and staff like? Like, how do they even like to test in the school setting? Did they want to do kind of a self-administered quick nose swab? Did they want to, you know, do a spit test? And so that's what we ended up just in the summer. We did three different schools. We did an elementary, a middle, and a high school. We included staff. We enrolled, what, at about 100 people or something, 120 kids and staff. And we had them do both in a randomized order. And we had them answer a few questions. And I think against what a lot of people thought, people didn't mind picking their nose with a Q-tip. And most of them liked it better than spitting. That helped us determine how we were going to kind of roll out testing in the schools. And so we initially then started in the fall doing, you know, the kind of testing where you go every week, even when people are well at school and you test them kind of randomly if they're signed up to see if there's a lot of COVID in the school. And then we offered if they felt sick and wanted testing or kind of the symptomatic on-demand testing. And so we started out in eight and then expanded to the entire district. I think the other thing too, Jen, is it was such a relationship and conversation with the school district about what they wanted because there was a lot of fear in this district about going back. The zip codes that they cover had been hit particularly hard by COVID. And so, you know, I think we saw everything during the pandemic. We saw loud people who wanted to go back and we saw loud people who didn't want to go back. And then we never know what the quiet people wanted, right? Because there was just a lot of loud people. And, you know, this was a district, I will say, where there was a lot of fear about going back. And so, you know, in discussion with the district, they wanted PCR testing as opposed to antigen testing. This is, again, we're in 2021, right? So, like, we don't even really understand antigen testing at this point and, like, what it means. And are you, like, do we believe it? Do we not believe it, right? And so they wanted PCR testing and then they really liked single testing as opposed to pooled testing. And so that's what we did. We did single PCR testing. We used our hospital clinical lab and it was amazing. I consider us really lucky that we were able to do it. They wanted surveillance testing. So many, many schools and public spaces were getting away from surveillance testing. They did not want to know if they had COVID, if they didn't have symptoms, because that meant they were out of school for a long time. But again, to Jen's point, this district was very cautious. They were abiding by the CDC guidance. The CDC guidance recommended surveillance testing and they wanted surveillance testing. And so when many testing programs were either having a lot of difficulties getting people to participate or no one wanted surveillance testing and refusal, this district really was engaged in that aspect of it. The program was under RADx up, which was for underserved populations. Is it fair to say this this district is one of these marginalized, has a lot of marginalized community members who have tons of social determinants of health that put them at greater risk and were probably most impacted by the pandemic early on for the the parents and loved ones in, in the in the district? Yeah. I mean, so a lot of multi-generational households, which actually 
kind of came up later because we were offering COVID-19 testing at school. And so the kids could get it. But then what happens to parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles who live in the house or little ones at home who aren't yet in school, where do they get COVID testing? You know, again, before it's widely available and you can get it anywhere. And a lot of frontline workers too. So people who really didn't stop working during the pandemic. And I think that's one of the things too that we heard from the school nurses, you know, as they went back is then not only dealing with COVID and all of what came with COVID, but I mean, just the trauma too from, you know, everything that happened during the pandemic and deaths and, uh, you know, being impacted financially for a lot of these families too. What are you most proud about with this work? I think it's amazing. I've watched you guys and we did these together and I, I just thought it was amazing how you handled such a large district and did so much testing. I, I'm curious from your both personally, what was mo you're most proud of? I love the school nurses. I mean, I think in our introduction, you know, like I did the Peace Corps before med school and I was in a, com I was doing community-based work and then I have not been involved with community-based work since then. I went down much more of a research, you know, career path in the lab and doing things like that. And I feel at home back out in the community and being able to merge kind of that community-based work plus doing, I think, good research in communities that potentially are often overlooked and doing it to where we try to make sure that we're doing it the way it should be done, where the families are involved and the kids are interviewed by our team, you know, to make sure that we are approaching things correctly. It just feels really good. Jen and I say every single day, our best days are out when we're out testing or being out in the schools with, the, you know, the nurses and the kids. I think Jen and I helped people, which, you know, as nerdy as it is, like no one likes the med student who comes in for their med school interview and says, I want to be a doctor because I want to help people. But I mean, that's kind of why we go into medicine, right, is we want to do something for people. And you know, in my clinical work and in my research work and even wearing my educational hat and training people to be physicians, I don't think that I have ever gotten to work with people and yeah, get to work with people and help people like we have since we've been doing this and just have a partnership. I mean, this is pretty cool. Like never have I gotten to do community research relying and working with and interacting with and getting feedback from people out in the community. And that's, I don't know, I'm a little bit proud of Jen and myself too, I will say for going outside of our comfort zone, because I mean, we kind of joke, like, what did we do before this? And because we're loving it when we're out at the schools and talking to people and hearing people's stories. And we really joke, but may I remind you that Jen's whole career before this was on viruses, I don't know anything about viruses. So, you know, I was so lucky to have, I mean, Jen with the scientific background, I know some about viruses, but not to the <laughs> point to be able to, you know, deal with a lot of the nitty gritty. So it has been like a perfect balance. You empowered part of a community that need to be empowered and how you were always engaged and you you found this amazing partner and you you did all this stuff. I mean, I think it's phenomenal. I look forward to reading more and, I, and you guys are doing more with the school, if I recall, right? I mean, what you guys have turned this into kind of 
a lasting partnership. Is that right? So we're still doing um, COVID testing with the district. We're looking at how we can expand to kind of bring access to care to this district as well. And I think, you know, we've formed some cool relationships with the community that have really allowed us to ask some interesting research questions. I mean, historically, even though Jen says I know something about viruses, I know something about viruses in kids who come into like the ivory tower of the hospital, right? But, you know, that's not where most kids are and that's not where kids spend their time. And so I think one of the cool things is that we are actually getting to learn about kids where they are kids, which is in schools and understand and learn and hopefully try and, you know, continue to improve the health of kids in our community in other ways as well. Thank you for that. It's fantastic. All right. I got some other questions. Thank you for talking about that project. And you guys have a number of publications. We'll make sure those are in the show notes. People can see those and read them. They're great. So for both of you, how has the COVID pandemic changed the way you view healthcare and education in our community? They are incredibly linked. And I don't think I appreciated that. There are people who have been doing, you know, medical work with school communities forever. I think I was so naive to, to that and I'm so appreciative of the work that is done. I really believe that you have got to link the two and understand the two and recognize that kids spend a third to half their time in schools and that the health and well-being there at school impacts what we're seeing in the hospital and vice versa. And so there's really, it's just got to be a continuum. And they're both so fragile. I mean, I think I knew that the healthcare system was fragile before. I'm not a teacher. I haven't been in education. I have learned so much about our educational system just from listening to all of the people that we work with. And I don't think I realized how fragile our education system is, particularly our public education system and how we we need to give it the resources that it needs. The podcast that's going to be the week before yours comes out was with the superintendent. You know, we said it right, right? There's inequities in our public school system. The inequities are, are now amplified or illuminated with the pandemic. They've always been there, right? And I think these are the school systems we worked with that they've been having inequities. Like no one puts anything into them. And now you see this and it's, and like, if we're going to really address it, it's going to have to be, the pandemic isn't new, didn't, didn't all of a sudden cause, it's been there forever, right? And, and she said, and we have to be curious if we're going to help it. We can't just assume, we can't make assumptions. These are all great parents. They're all great people. You know, how do we do that? How do we continue? Because these are the partnerships that I think will help it. Um, okay. Sorry, I, you know, I go, go off there as I was thinking about that. How has the pandemic affected each of you personally? I got to think about this one. I think I'm more open. So from a career perspective, I think I'm more open to trying new things um, and doing different things. Jason, you know this, but Jen and I have been friends since actually since my job interview here. Jen, maybe I should say that Jen Goldman is a huge part of the reason that I'm here because we have a mutual friend who told me that we would be friends and really like each other you know, anyways, came here, but we never got to work with each other from a research perspective. And clinically, you know, we don't overlap a whole lot when we're seeing patients. I think for me, getting to work with Jen, I 
am just much more, Jen would disagree, but I am much more bold and willing to take chances and just put myself out there on a ledge, even though I feel like I am still a nervous Nelly about it. But I hope that that is one thing, I've never told her this, so, but I hope that that is one thing that, that is one thing that I think I have changed is just from my work relationships is thanks to Jen Goldman, I'm willing to put myself out there. Still a little nervous about it, though. Goldman? I think probably the thing that has been the craziest is that, like, our voices matter and how you use those. Like, I I know on a patient level, you know, being able to provide information and treat a child is obviously very important. And that, of course, is, you know, so critical to our jobs. But, I mean, I think I was just kind of shocked when... Jen and I are kind of like, we know some of this science and some of this stuff isn't right. And I can't sleep at night because I am wondering what's happening to kids that haven't been seen in months. And actually with friends and colleagues like Jason and other people across the country, we can talk and sometimes we're listened to. And I so I think that was really eye-opening to me and empowering, right? Because I think there's so many things that you can see in the world and feel like you can't make a difference at all. And this, I was like, oh my gosh, all this training, you can actually talk about viruses as a PCID doc and people do think you know what you're talking about. So that part has been really amazing. And then just to feel completely uncomfortable having to take your foot out of your mouth all the time, which as physicians, we don't like to do. And in a pandemic, when things are changing and new science is coming all the time, you have to become so comfortable with that. And I think Jen and I always started everything we always spoke about is what we're telling you today is likely going to be different next week. And it's just based on what we know today. We did a little um, ask for forgiveness and not permission a handful of times. We got pretty good at that. Yeah, that's part of how we lived it. Okay, next one. What was the most influential thing that someone has or had told you that helped you through the COVID-19 pandemic? I will say, I remember one of my, my sister called me one night. She's like, I need to bring something to you. Her friend who I know, but not, I don't know really well. Her friend had written me a card and gotten me a little gift thanking, thanking me for fighting for kids during the pandemic. And it was something very little, but I was like, who goes out of their way to give my sister that, you know, and that to me was probably more important than anything else because it was just a little nugget to say, you know, keep working, keep doing what you're doing. And it is important to to some people. There was very early on, like early summer of 2020, probably the first school that we helped or talked to was so nice and would constantly just thank us. And they, this is really nerdy, Jason, they sent a picture of like a little superhero with a cape and a stethoscope, like a little could be, I know, but it's still on my door. Do you like, have it? Years later. Yes. Let's see it. Well, I mean, you're not going to be able to see it for the podcast, Jason. Yeah, but I still want to see it. Um, I will go get it. Um, And I remember just thinking like, 
no one thinks of me this way. Like, what are they talking about? Like, and I think it was, I mean, to Jen's point of like, people were listening to us. And I was so shocked by that. It shows the tremendous impact both of you have had and still continue to have on our school communities. I mean, it's great. I do want to see it. I mean, look, I got two unicorns on a table behind me like that are dressed up. So I got to see your, you know, okay. Non-COVID questions. Cause we got to know you guys a little bit more. Where would you go if you could visit any place on earth and why? Chin Schuster. Rome. I was a Latin major. You can make fun of me about it later. It's my favorite place in the entire world. Awesome. Goldman. Patagonia. Oh. Cause I've not been to South America and I'm a big traveler and I imagine it's like New Zealand and I love New Zealand. Wow. What was your childhood dream job and why? So first, mine was a detective, which makes a lot of sense because I'm an ID doctor, but I'm like too scared to actually do anything like that. And then you can make fun of me again. It was a Latin teacher. And then I went to med school. Goldman shaking her head for the record, judgingly. (laughs) Let me make it clear. I never dreamed about working, but my two passions as a young child was playing soccer, but there weren't women's, you know, professional soccer leagues as much as they were to are today. And then I loved Michael Jackson. I practice a lot of break dancing. So I don't know if I thought I was going to be a professional, but I guess those were probably my two biggest job prospects. This is why she's so much cooler than me. <laughs> no, I, I think you're both pretty cool. If you saw my breakdancing, you would not say that. <laughs> okay. What book are you currently reading? Well, I just gave it to Jen. I just finished What the Eyes Don't See about the amazing pediatrician who basically uncovered and brought to light the flint lead water. Oh, wow. Disaster. She's amazing. Pediatrician. Just an amazing woman who really worked hard. And now I'm listening right now to Together by that Vivek Murthy, who was the U.S. Surgeon General, about kind of loneliness and community and friendship and things like that. Good stuff, Goldman. Schuster. Okay, so I am... Don't judge me again. So I'm reading a book called Babel. My husband got me this book of the month club, which is like an every month subscription where they send you like an actual book, which it's been a long time, right? Like I usually either read on my Kindle or listen to stuff and they curate. I'm not a salesperson for them. I just, it takes, I don't know. I think it's cool, but they curate like four to five books a month. Um, and then you pick one. So anyway, this is like a historical fiction and it's a lot about linguistics oh, wow. and like the study of languages and it takes place in Oxford in the 1850s. I'm only about halfway through. It's long, but I would recommend it. It's very good if you're looking for, I don't know, some kind of book like that. And then I am listening to a book called Carrie Soto is Back, which is by Taylor Jennings Reed, the woman who wrote The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, if that one was came out a little while ago. And it's pretty good. It's about tennis. Actually, so Goldman, you may like it. I don't know anything about tennis. But I got to have something like completely mindless because I listen to it when I run in the morning. That's so good. <laughs> Jason, what are you reading? So I am currently reading Bad Blood by James Jones, which is about, so it's the United States Public Health Service Untreated Syphilis Study at Tuskegee. So that is one. I just finished an Anthony Doerr book. I can never remember. Cuckoo Land is in the title. And I can never, but Bad Blood, I feel like as a Pete's ID doc, I need to kind of know that, that story much better than I do. 
but thank you for asking. All right, wonderful doctors Goldman and Schuster, you guys rock. Thank you so much. Thanks for all you did and continue to do for our children. Thanks for being great colleagues. You guys are dear, dear friends, and I, I feel very lucky to know you both. So thank you. Thanks for having us. This was a Thanks, good trip Jason. down memory lane. It was fun. Thanks for listening to another amazing episode of Capturing COVID with my dear, dear friends, Drs. Jennifer Schuster and Jennifer Goldman, or like many, including myself, like to call the Gens. In this episode, we touched on their experience as leaders, really, in the Kansas City community, but I would say not only leaders in the Kansas City area, but also regionally throughout Missouri and nationally. We look to them so often on how they were doing their COVID-19 testing programs. They led an amazing, or continue to lead, an amazing project in the Kansas City Public School District with testing. They learned about what was the most preferred test, you know, self-administered nasal swabs versus saliva, and have continued to advance their testing with other respiratory viruses currently. They are phenomenal young people, and I'd say young, they're actually mid-career people now, but they have really advanced our knowledge around COVID-19 in schools, respiratory viruses, and will continue to make lives better for children and their families. You know, they touched on collaborations with each other, their community, Man, I was just inspired and I continue to be by their quick responses or their quick response to being called to action during this time. You know, the gens were involved in many, many critical decisions. We got to collaborate. You know, we and especially them, they led and allowed for many children and students to get back to school. I'm so thankful for them and all they've done to help our communities, especially during the craziness of the unknown that was very present during the COVID-19 pandemic. So we have a lot more to unpack from the pandemic, and this episode is one of many. So join us in our journey to listen, relate, and reminisce on shared and differing experiences. Tune in for our next incredible episode with Ms. Cynthia Williams, the Assistant Dean of Community Partnership at the Brown School of Social Work at Washington University in St. Louis. Another must listen. Thank you again, doctors Jennifer Schuster and Jennifer Goldman, for joining us on the podcast. Another big, big thanks. To the one and only Gabby Smith for producing our show. Until next time, have an awesome, incredible week. <laughs>